comedian George Carlin had a bit where he talked about how much he disliked it when people told him to have a nice day. Have a nice day. It's unfair, he said. It puts all the pressure on me. Now I have to go out and somehow figure out how to have a nice day, all because of some loose-lipped cashier. Now, I'm not saying a nice day is the same thing as being joyful. But it does strike me that there is a lot of pressure beginning around this time of year to do just that, to be joyful. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And listen, I haven't become Reverend Curmudgeon. People are entitled to celebrate holidays, to greet one another, to be joyful. I'm just wondering if we are inadvertently saddling people with a responsibility to be joyful, like the cashier in George Carlin's story telling him to have a nice day. Now I have to go and somehow figure out how to have a nice day, how to be joyful. Where do I begin? Part of it is that we, human beings, especially in this culture, have adopted a shorthand that turns out, turns our hopes and wishes for one another into what sounds like commands. For instance, get well soon. Now that's what we tell people who are ill. Does that sound like a command or not? Get well soon. So now you not only have to figure out how to get well, which is something you think you might have figured out without me having to tell you, but you also better make it snappy. What we're actually saying is we hope you get well soon. See how that changed things? Have a nice day. Get well soon. Get happy. It's Hanukkah. Show a little joy. It's Christmas, for goodness sake. I hope you have a happy Hanukkah. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a nice day. I hope you get well soon. Those are my wishes for you, not my commands. Though the psychological validity of what some call holiday syndrome, feelings of helplessness, irritability, and depression said to occur in certain psychoanalytic patients before Thanksgiving and continuing into the Christmas holiday season, ending a few days after January 1st. Though the psychological validity of that seems to be in question, others note that grief around the loss of a loved one and helplessness in the midst of family estrangement and loneliness or feelings of isolation are bound to intensify during a period when the culture places such a heavy emphasis on family celebrations, shared traditions, togetherness, happiness, and joy. Many congregations host special Blue Christmas services 
on the longest night of the year as a place to explicitly acknowledge and make space for the sorrow and pain that some may be feeling. There is the realization that it does no good to try and ignore these feelings in a vain attempt to be, or at least to appear, joyful. And maybe there is also the recognition that joy may be found not by going around or over or under our sorrow and pain, but rather right through. And when I say joy may be found, I am not implying there is a map that shows how to get there. At least none I've found consistently reliable. Joy for me is something that pops up at the most unlikely, unassuming times. It is very rarely, as Mary Oliver notes, very rarely about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but is rather of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. It does not always come on the heels of happiness. It can just as easily be wrapped up in sorrow. I was very taken with this short tale shared by poet Ross Gay in the Soul Matters material. I dreamed a few years back that I was in a supermarket checking out when I had the stark and luminous and devastating realization in that clear way, not that oh yeah way, that my life would end. I wept in line watching people go by with their carts, watching the cashier move items over the scanner, feeling such an absolute love for this life. And the mundane fact of buying groceries with other people whom I do not know, like all the banalities, would be no more so soon. Now that sounds to me like joy. I was very taken with the little girl in the story attempting to make a magnificent thing and being frustrated at every turn. Goodness knows we have felt that. I have felt that many times throughout my life and maybe most intensely in these past two years. And I love the way her perspective shifts without any particularly clear reason, except that she and her friend take a walk. Even so, when she returns to all she has made, the bad feelings are waiting there. But she is able to view these disasters from a new perspective. There is something in that turning that speaks to me of joy of taking pleasure even in our apparent failures, along with the mystery about how that shift in perspective actually occurred. And what seems genuine to me about the depiction of what I call joy in these examples is that they do not offer recipes for how to be joyful. One might say, for example, from Ross Gay's experience, you know what you should do? You should picture yourself in a busy supermarket with a deep awareness of your own mortality. 
or from the story, The Most Magnificent Thing, when you're frustrated, take a walk. Or from Mary Oliver's poem, notice what is around you. Now, this may all be good advice, but we cannot guarantee joy as a result. We cannot provide recipes or exact instructions, but we can testify to the fact that joy is available. In the sharing of these experiences of the joy, we are affirming that joy is available, even if we cannot always access it. We are affirming that joy is available, even if we cannot hold on to it. Indeed, it seems to be in the nature of joy that it resists capture or containment. And yet it is there, ready to visit us in unexpected ways. Twinkle lights are the perfect metaphor for joy, writes Brene Brown. Joy is not a constant. It comes to us in moments, often ordinary moments. Sometimes we miss out on the bursts of joy because we're too busy chasing down extraordinary moments. We here do not command or require that you be joyful. We offer no maps to finding joy. We have no surefire recipes for making joy. But we do, as our mission states, commit to inspiring joy, which we will explore more fully next week. And we can testify to the availability of joy in this existence we share. And we do indeed wish for joy to visit one another in whatever form it may take. I love the way our theme for the month is worded, opening to joy. We have no recipe, no definite instructions, no map to finding joy, but we can and do practice opening ourselves to the whole of this existence. And the more we open ourselves, the less likely we will, as Brene Brown puts it, miss out on the bursts of joy that are available. Opening ourselves to this existence is, for me, what we mean by nurturing spiritual growth, which also appears in our mission. So in closing, I wish for you an openness to bursts of joy in whatever form they take and at whatever time they may appear. Oh, and I almost forgot. Have a nice day. <laughs>